This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. Um, you guys remember when we uh, did that interview with Chris Cunning a couple, well, like two years ago? Two years? Jeez. Yes. Anyways, um, he messaged me and Kevin the other day with a question, and it kind of got me and Kevin thinking that it would be fun to talk about the topic. He sent us the green box. Have you all ever done a session discussing the hurdle, discussing the hurdles of groups that don't have any federal agents? I feel like we have, or if not, then I've complained personally about this. About the lack of badges on your, uh, like, players' makeup? Yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely said this before. It may not have been on the show, but it's absolutely a challenge because it means that you effectively have to budget a lot of extra time in the game session for stuff that would be seamless with a badge in the back pocket. The one way that you can circumvent this is if your group doesn't have badges because they are essentially behaving like organized criminals, which is an alternate mode of play that I may have mentioned previously that I think would be really fun for Delta Green, where instead of acting like feds, they would act like mobsters and go and shake down wizards for magic items and and have informants who they beat up when they don't tell them about monsters. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it could be. That that just sounds like uh like playing Delta Green on hard mode, I think, without like badges. Like it really requires you to kind of think outside the box. Uh before we go any further though, I had like a question for you guys, like a little fun one. Um what was the first federal law enforcement uh agency in America? Post office, wasn't it? Yeah. United States Postal Inspection Service. And the second was the Marshal Service. Or as we abbreviate them, U.S. PISS. Nice. They carry their jurisdiction around with them. Um, in their bladders? <laughs> no, we know it's stored in the balls. There you go. Cut and print. Uh, so, games without federal agents, without task forces or badge wavings, what do we what do, what do we think about that besides, like, it's harder and you need to budget more time? I think it makes it more interesting. It's much more fun to overcome challenges when you can't just badge your way through everything with impunity. So I've, I've definitely run games without any badges, and it's gone just as good or bad as a game with badges. I think that um, there's like a line you need to cross. Like, uh, like, like if you do have uh, agents that have badges, they can always choose to like go the you know extra legal route, but they can like cross back over into like legal territory. Whereas if you don't have the badge, you're pretty much doing everything illegally and, and really sneaky. Trying to, You have to be more clever. Will, you have expressed great admiration for a television program about con artists in the past? I have. Yes, indeed. I was just thinking that, about that. Which, which program is that? Just tell me the name. The name is Hustle. It's, it's a BBC program. Highly recommend to our listeners. That mode of play seems well suited for the lack of federal agents or any agents of any type on the team. I had the idea, and maybe this is just like an opinion of mine, but I think that um, as a handler, I probably let people get away with like badge waving too much. 
like, oh yeah, you you wave your badge and you get access to the crime scene. Yeah, yeah, because it's sort of like um, like what Max was saying. You're trying to minimize the amount of time doing the not fun stuff. Well, there's, uh, I know the art Green folks have talked about it. And I know we've talked about it, so I'll just hit it briefly. But if you play Delta Green realistically, then cops could do anything they wanted. It's, so you have to kind of set some arbitrary, hopeful, realistic guidelines on what a badge can get away with. So I think it's okay to say you can't graduate into the crime scene when in reality, 99% of the time, you can graduate into whatever you wanted. See, and then like on the opposite side of what I was suggesting, you know, just badge and get in or, you know, badge and get past or whatever. I think that you should probably take it into consideration like in home scenes because there's like pretty specific rules that people don't follow all the time about trouble at work and prosecution and like getting into the crime scene and then like the crime scene getting fucked up. And then the the guy who is in charge of the crime scenes, like, uh, you know what? I let someone in, but I don't remember anything about them because I didn't do my job very well. So like maybe, maybe the person like, you know, takes a picture of the badge or like writes the badge number down. And it's not like they're going to like call a hotline right now and like immediately verify your credentials. But like after the fact it comes up, and you get in trouble like later on down the line. They can't prove you did anything, but you were there, right? Yeah, I've never really used the getting in trouble rules, and I would like to because it adds a little more weight, I think, to the reckless actions you're forcing your agents to take. So it's definitely worth uh, worth a look. Besides the question of legality, I also think there's just a question of stealthiness, maybe. Like if you're an FBI agent, you're a person in power, and that means you're pretty noticeable. People are going to remember distinctly interactions with you. Whereas if you're just a guy off the street, people aren't going to, eyes aren't going to be follow you around. You know, you're right. Cause I can think of all the times that I've interacted with federal agents on the job. I remember every specific time and like what I did and what happened and what they said. I mean, it, it is something that's sort of like a high profile event. It's not something that doesn't you know, that, that you can get away with pretty easily now that I think about it. And that that's weird. That never occurred to me. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I think it's just if it if you're not trying to do something illegal, it might be easier to have, if not a whole team of not feds, at least somebody who's not, not a fed, because then they can uh, move around and work while everybody else is drawing the heat. I'm not sure if this directly applies, but since one of has that stopped me, um, GURPS has a skill called uh, Savoir Faire, which is basically like essentially like etiquette for a job, like knowing. Yeah, it's uh, it's head. tied to your uh, motorics. Okay. Yeah, um, and Don't that's so. And what's nice about that? So there, there's kind of there isn't necessarily an equivalent in Delta Green, but you could certainly default that to any number of skills. But the idea being, if you are, I'll use an example from real life. So I work closely with a lot of law enforcement. Um, and so folks who don't know me when I first meet them are always like, who is this random person? Once you talk shop a little bit, next thing you know, like if you have to go check on some piece of equipment, they're like, oh, here's my, here's my badge and ID card. Just buzz yourself through, take care of it, you know, do whatever. So you can get like, if you, if you, so if I, if I was up to nefarious D's, I could, I could just, you know, use my, my knowledge and etiquette to, to get into things. So if you're not a federal religion, but you still want to Maybe you have a background in it or you have, maybe you're a cop in like a town, but you're trying to pretend you're a fed, pretend you're a, you know, a cop somewhere else. Knowing the lingo and knowing how to talk or how to talk your way through it might be, you know, a, a skill role you could let an agent take to to do that. And, and even if they were trying to be, you can make them maybe try to be a little less memorable in that interaction. 
you're describing the Knight's Black Agent skill cop talk also. I would like to play that sometime. Knight's Black Agents does that with a lot of skills for the right like subculture. Like you can use medicine to talk to doctors. You can use law just to get in good with lawyers. I think that Delta Green should... Uh, one thing that should be done in this game, and I think I this before, I think I may have said it, uh, if not on this show, then in writing, that any profession skill like anthropology or whatever should be usable as a disguise skill for that profession. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Like, like, like in Knights Black Agents, but like if I want to go to a conference and be like an expert in the fourth century and I have anthropology at 60, I can be an expert in the fourth century and disguise myself as somebody else and have a fake CV and shit like that. I like that a lot. Um, I was looking at the, the different scenarios that are out there for Delta Green and a number of them do suggest that you have like a federal investigation or like one way or another, you rope, you're, you're roped into being part of a federal investigation. They'll do that thing where they give you like fake credentials. Yeah. And I remember somebody talking to me um, about, they were like, I don't know how to do, or you know, how, how do I run a federal investigation? You know, I'm just a random person from the internet. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah I remember this. My server. response was, have you never seen a movie before? That's not really fair because so you know, how, how does, if you're not intricately knowledgeable federal investigations, you know, how, how do they work? Are they like magnets? It's not a, it's not a bad premise. Just tell someone like watch uh, NCIS or, you know, watch a movie or something, you know, because I mean, you know, like uh, when it comes to the game, there is like a certain level of, um, oh gosh, uh, the term is eluding me. Um, Genre specific knowledge. No. uh, Savviness. No, where you, uh, dis- where, 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 you, where you disregard, like, realistic details for, like, fiction. Suspension of disbelief. That's it. That's it. Suspension of disbelief. Yeah. There's a certain amount of suspension of disbelief when it comes to this game. And how, like, the level of detail that you use, it can relate to, like, how much fun you're having. If it sounds like it works, just kind of roll with it, you know? So what's a, what's a good scenario we can use as a... That's our kind of baseline to just discuss like what what's a good scenario that has a federal investigation involved that folks might know. I made a small list of scenarios where the federal investigation is assumed or suggested. You got Hourglass, which is like a fairly new one. Uh, the Last Equation, Future Perfect, Artifact Zero, uh, the OG scenario, Puppet Shows and Shadow Plays. Uh, sweetness, and then even from uh, Call of Cthulhu, this one's one of my favorites, Ladybug, Ladybug, Fly Away Home. So you could pretty much take all those and try and figure out how like a uh, federal investigation framework works on them. Say Observer Effect, your DOE in that, Department of Energy in that scenario, but it's still, your cover is, is, a, is an investigation. That's good. Uh, I haven't read it because I'm hoping someone will run it for me. Actually, you know what's cool about Observer Effect is that... Um, you're not who you say you are. So that's an example of there is a federal investigation, but you're just kind of pretending that you're part of it. Yeah, it's just your, it's just your cover. You're not, you're not using it to advance the case, so to speak. You're just using it as a... Yeah, you're not using your real name. You're not using your actual credentials. You are presenting fake identification using assumed names and using that to get yourself into some place you're not supposed to be. Which, actually, there you go. That's what you do if you don't have a badge. You do that. You don't need the scenario or the handler or the case officer to hand you fake documents. You can just, you can acquire fake credentials as an acquisition, I believe, 
Or honestly, you don't even need him. You just walk in, clipboard into his vest. I think you can also start a federal investigation on the target as an acquisition. So you could also do that. Uh, that, I think, is a requisition. You're right. And that is that is a good example of a use of the requisition rules. I think also an observer effect, that scenario comes with a specific pre-gen who's from the relevant agency, Inspector in which case... Who? Sorry, what was that? Uh, Inspector who? Oh, okay. I forgot the NPCs, the character's name. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I mean, that's his name. I was hoping someone was going to... Never mind. There was going to be like a who's on first kind of thing, and for the record show, everyone was going to laugh, you know. It's okay, Kevin. One day you'll say something funny. But look, you got to keep taking shots because you miss 100% of shots you don't take. So I guess technically I'm the only one who's actually conducted a federal investigation, but Jake is pretty damn close. So as the two subject matter experts... Um, De facto. Yeah, exactly. What should our listeners know from a you know 30,000 foot overview of like what... How is a federal investigation different from, you know, somebody breaks in your car, a cop comes by, takes a statement, and, you know, they never catch the guy. What's the difference here? Uh, resources and also dedication, I guess. What about the 25,000 foot level? Um, lots and lots of resources. Uh, no, so it's probably about um, like there's a certain amount of seriousness that has to be behind it. It has to be something that's not easily solvable um, at like a lower level. Or it has to be something that spans across different jurisdictions and... Um, like uh, like people would argue about who has to cover it or who's in charge of investigating it. That's like, we already is that what you're asking? You're asking for criteria for, for well, what? We already decided that who was in charge of the DOE investigation and observer effect. And uh, Just keep uh, telling the joke. Maybe it, it'll get funny. No, it, like the third or fourth time. We'll laugh and laugh. If you're listening to this, don't leave us a comment and we'll know. Um, yeah, so, so one of the key things here is like the feds aren't going to come in to investigate just any normal crime. So... You know, it's got to be something that where they can devote a large amount of resources to it. Um, now, to a certain degree, I mean, there are there are we, we've talked in the past, I think, about joint task forces or joint terrorism task forces where, you know, the feds will come in, set up a task force, locals will join it and they'll go after drugs or a cartel or a mafia or whatever. Sure. So that in the course of that investigation, they might do low level investigations, you know, they might bust low level like street dealers for drugs, but it's in the course of a larger operation. You know, back somewhere at a headquarters, there's a big murder board with, you know, some kingpin at the top. So something to note is if you if you are you know, looking at Delta Green and you have an operation, and this is, I think it's advice for either a handler or a player, if you if you have a regular investigation, like just a regular crime uh, that either you've committed and you need to cover up, or maybe your mythos enemy has, has committed and you want to become involved as a federal investigation, you've got to tack on something to it that would, would get to that level. Make it federal jurisdiction, like, sure. Hate, I mean, hate crimes are an easy one. Cross-border um, things are an easy one. It crosses a state line um, if it involves robbery or extortion. Uh, what is it? RICO is... Uh, racketeering something criminal organizations? Yeah. The Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. So in theory, and I'm not sure how realistic, I'm not sure how realistic this is, but if the crime involves the local police, in theory... They shouldn't investigate it, so they could call in. Uh, it's the, the state. The state usually does it for. Um, and yeah, or, or if, it here. Was a, if it was a state operation, the feds not come investigate that. Right, or if there's like um, like misconduct or something uh, that you know, I'm part of the police. Sometimes the feds will investigate it. Yeah, and let's be honest, uh, just a state level, a state level investigation is a federal investigation, just smaller. So you know. You could have a state, you know, a statewide investigation that could still 
serve your purposes for Delta Green if you were members of that state organization. So one of the things we've talked about also, I know on the show in the past, uh, and I'll try to stop referencing that, uh, is normally Delta Green doesn't really care about getting, like you're not there to collect evidence. You're there to stop the bad guys. And if you commit a crime in the process and nobody solves it, who cares, right? But if you've drummed up this federal investigation as your cover, there may be an onus on you to provide some sort of closure, either shut the right. down or throw the locals a bone, keep their relationship, you know, or whatever. So if you are using a federal investigation as a cover, how do you go about actually getting the, like do closing the case, so to speak? So you're saying like, like you, you go in and you investigate the mythos bullshit you blow up the barn with all the cultists in it or whatever. And then you also need to kind of give them like, See, look, I'm a Fed, and here's what my Fed work resulted in for you. Here's a, you know, a meth cook, or you know, something like that. You got to give them yeah. something, yeah. That's a good home scene. Like, have your lead investigator, air quotes, um, kind of close the case by, you know, you know, actual police work or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Especially if you started the investigation with some sort of, if you had, if you had to pull strings, like I, I think I might let. I don't know what the numbers are, so I'm going to say it's like five or whatever, three or whatever. If I had to slice X off a bond to get an investigation started uh, as a as an acquisition or requisition, whatever it is, requisition, I think. If I close the case legitimately, I might let the player, or the player does that, I might let them put some of that back. Because then they haven't really leaned on the bond in a negative way. They've actually like done a good job. The bond might look See? better. See, look what I told you. Yeah, I exactly. told you I'd get you some results. Other scenarios where you're playing as feds on a task force or whatever, like I don't know that I've ever really had a game that did it as like in depth as it is because there's usually a lot of people on like federal task forces whenever there's like a big problem that needs to be stopped. You know, they might pull up, you know, like a half dozen or more like local cops and tell them, hey, you're on this team until the problem is solved. And, um, I think it's probably like a a choice that a lot of people don't roll with is like you can have these NPC like police officers that are there part of your federal investigation and you can send them off to gather some intelligence, you know, hey, go, uh, go tell that guy and see what turns up or whatever. Or, you know, hey, we're, we're looking for this person. They're driving this vehicle, you know, get out there, hit the streets, see if you can find it, you know, based on what we know about him from the profile, he's going to be like, you know, around this location. We think he works as a mechanic or, you know, whatever it is that you tell them and you send him out there to investigate it. Like, that's a good way to get past, like, the boring parts of the investigation while you go, your, your, your PC goes and investigates, like, the mythos side of shit. And that's yeah, like, uh, I really like this, the scenario Ladybug, Ladybug for that. Cause it, 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 out of all the scenarios that I read for like role playing games, that's the one that feels the most like a federal investigation to me. You know, there, there is a, a, a potential downside of that is that you might be sending these people into up against a threat they're not ready to deal with. So a consequence might be if you send these, you know, 10 deputized cops out to go on canvas and two of them run into a cultist and get, you know, blasted with mythos goo and turn into, you know, zombies. Well, now you have a bigger problem on your hands, but that's, you know, the kind of risk risk reward in, in leveraging your own investigation to do things. Well, we got to keep recruiting new agents somehow, right? Yeah, right. The last equation also has a federal task force in it. And I think it's an interesting example because the players aren't running it. There's a couple of different NPCs attached to it. And you've got to try and manage them while furthering the case and kind of keeping them away from anything too serious. Yeah, that's that's another good example is you may not be the head of the investigation. You may have to operate 
in the middle. So you gotta you gotta get results for the real investigation, but also keep your side hustle going. And that could be an interesting mechanic. Which in certain ways may mean essentially sabotaging the real investigation in order to do your Delta Green stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um Shake, you hit on something. You said there was a lot of personnel involved. And something to bear in mind is that not everybody involved in federal investigation is gonna be a cop at right. badge. So that gives you an opportunity to bring in your anthropologists, your scientists, your Call them like a profiler, call them like a yeah. forensics person or something. Yeah. And you could even, we could go back to Chris Gunning's question and even say, well, you can have a, agents, a group of agents that are federal agents, a group of player characters that aren't federal agents, but you can just assign to a federal task force anyway. And maybe they just don't get the respect that the cops do, but they uh, still have some of that authority. Uh, what are some things, like what are some movie or TV tropes that are not true about, like what should handlers or players stay away from are you a cop you have to tell me if you're a cop (laughs) that's a good one i was listening to an episode of rppr and he was he was going um like the players wanted to hold someone for questioning and he like made them do about like an hour's worth of like convincing the da that they were allowed to do that of like holding someone for that long yeah to just of just to, to hold someone to just talk to them no you got like 48 hours or something Without, yeah, reasonably most places. Or something, should you know that number? Yeah. Yeah, isn't that kind of important for you to know, Officer Jake? Well, no, I mean, we have 48 hours here, but I'm saying it varies from place to place. It's generally, like, uh, it has passed, like, the test The test of reasonability is generally what, what it is. Something that I think is fun is um, the, the whole, you know, you have to tell if you're a cop thing, is if I'm running a game and an NPC, I have, I have somebody do that to the players, because maybe they don't know that. Would you give them a would you, if their character would know that? Would you give them a role to know if their character knows it? Oh sure, absolutely. If they ask, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so speaking of like holding people, one of my favorite tropes in like movies is like we're pretty sure this guy's a murderer. We can hold hold him for forty eight hours and we gotta let him go. You know, but in those forty eight hours, you can articulate all sorts of reasons to hold someone if you really do think they're the like you know if you're just trying to shake someone down, maybe not. But if you really think that they're the bad guy or connected. I mean, hell, we can hold terrorists indefinitely. It's true. On suspicion. Like, there's a lot of ways, <laughs> a lot of ways to get, to get get people like that. Wait, I forget the Patriot Act. They didn't renew it, did they? It's like over now. Uh, what, what's the one that got replaced with uh, the NDAA, uh, the National Defense Authorization Act? Right. I don't know. Anyway, um, one of the other tropes, which is kind of, I mean, it's I guess it's half half truth. If we're myth, myth busting, it'd be plausible. But TV shows and stuff always play up like the turf warriness of like local cops and feds. And too, oh, there's, yeah. there's obviously some animosity there, but like they're rarely going to stop the other one from working because it's just too much like potential blowback. Nobody like, wants most to of the time. It's like a resource thing. Like that's what people fight over is like, yeah. what, what can you give me? As the impression to, I've, always, I've always gotten is that they may not necessarily be super hype about helping you, but they're not going to like deliberately get in your way. Like if you want to ask to like have their lab techs do stuff, then you're in trouble. But if you just want to be like, hey, can we access the crimes? Then they'll be like, all right, just, just fuck off, eh? <laughs> That's the impression I got anyways. I think that every time I play a character who doesn't have a badge, I get kind of annoyed because there's a lot of stuff that I know that I could do if my character had the credentials, but they don't. So I've got to counter on other people doing them or find like circuitous ways to get around it. Be like what uh, Tom mentioned earlier, where they take the high profile route, you take the low profile route. 
Yeah, but sometimes, like, uh, I remember we had this problem in the initial draft of Extremophilia, which I think is better in the new version, but in the original version, they didn't hand out the fake credentials, and, like, half of the scenario is interacting with legitimate law enforcement, so a lot of it was, like, the one or two guys who have the badge play the game while everyone else waits to do their part. Oh, um, another interesting trope is a lot of people still think that if someone is missing, you have to wait an arbitrary amount of time to report. Oh, to God, yeah. And no, that's just okay. straight up untrue. I've seen it be abused by people that don't want to take the reports, which is kind of sad. If, uh, you know, they'll be like, so your your drug addict's uh, brother is, you haven't seen him for how long? A day? Okay, well, you know, come back later, come back 72 hours. No, you, could, you can definitely, like, do it. Like, as soon as someone wants to report someone missing and it seems like it's reasonable, like, you can do it. Like, it's... You have the power to. <laughs> you can put them in Why the system and everything. Is that such a persistent um, okay, misconception? Okay, so the, the real problem with it is that you put someone in the system and you spend an hour and a half at a minimum writing this report, and then you call and you have to get it entered into the national database. And then like 30 minutes later, the motherfucker shows up and you have to do the process all over again to get it out. Or it's like, oh, they were outside the whole time. Whoops. Yeah. Or, um, you know, they're in and then they're out. And then like three days later, he goes missing again because he's on a drug bender and you have to put him in again. And you just get tired of like doing that. Yeah. And there's there's a big difference between, you know, OK, my you know, meth addict uncle is, is missing and my oh, my eight year old son is missing. Like there's a huge right. difference there. And like, yeah, huge difference. Yeah, uh, no law enforcement is going to be like, oh, you need to wait. Oh, and maybe he's just they're, they're going to. Yeah, at minimum they're going to like. They might ask you that. You're like, well, let's check in on the obvious leads first. Make sure he's not just you know hiding in the house or whatever. But they're going to certainly going to like get the ball started. Right, right. Something. So a problem you can run into is you could sit down at a table to run a game as a handler, and you could be not very well versed in how federal investigations work, and you and two of your players could be you know, FBI agents in real life. And then you get, so then they might be way, way more genre savvy than you are or vice versa. You might be very genre savvy and your players, you know, just couldn't find a game done as a dragons today and they don't know anything about it. So kind of know your audience. And if, if, if the, if the smartest person on the table is one of the agents, then just make them do all the work, make them explain what's describe what's happening. Offload that workload. And if you're the smartest person, make sure you give the players a little bit extra boost and so they know what's going on because then they'll feel like super badasses because they'll learn something new and be part of this cool investigation. There was a post on the Pelgrane Press blog that I think about both when I run the game when I and when I play the game about having knowledge about how the game works, which is that when you have specialized knowledge of the way that a real-life situation is in real life and you're playing the game you should try your best not to use that real life knowledge to make things harder for the players or the GM or for yourself. Yes. Uh, AKA don't be a dick. Cause I've been on both sides of this equation. I've been both the, I've been both the person who used the knowledge to make things harder for other people. I've been the person who has had the knowledge used against them. And I've been the guy running the game and had the knowledge used against me. And the joy that I get from being the villain is not sufficient to cover the loss that I feel when I suffer from that person. So just like in Republic, how the characters realize that they suffer more from having injustice done to them than they gain from doing injustice. I am in a similar situation in this RPG. Kevin, didn't you have two like actual feds play in one of your games at Gen Con? Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Did they ever pull that on you? 
I mean, no, we were probably evenly matched. And at the end, they were like, hey, that was awesome. Like, you know, you obviously you know, kind of knew what you were talking about. We had a really good time. It didn't, it didn't pull us out of the game. And I was like, yeah, you guys added a ton too because you were able to kind of, you know, move this move the things forward. It worked out really well. But there's, you know, I mean, we're talking about federal investigations, but with anything, if you're a firefighter in real life and you're playing a game where you need, where you fight fires, you know, there's a there's a way to bring up like, hey, you know, I'm knowledgeable about this in real life. Um, and, you know, I want to I want to use that to add to the narrative. How do you want me to proceed you know, with your, with your handler and kind of have that quick conversation and you know redo the social contract there? And then there's also just like being a dick, being like, no, that's not that doesn't work that way. So obviously, you know, rule number one: don't be an asshole. I don't know what rule number two is. There, there is no rule two. You don't talk about whatever you're talking about. Delta Green. Lightning round. If someone could only watch one movie about a federal investigation, what would you recommend? I'd recommend Silence of the Lambs because I like that movie. I don't care if it's realistic. I would re- I'd recommend The Fugitive. What's that, the Harrison Ford one? Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones. I've yeah. seen it. Ha, yeah. Three movies. Isn't the janitor from Scrubs in that one? Yeah. Based. I'm going to say Shutter Island. Oh, that's the one with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and their, uh, it's kind of Inception-y ending. Huh? I have four movies. Um, my, mine is Unthinkable. It's, uh, I really enjoy that one. That's about the Titanic, right? No, no, no. That, no, no. no that, that's a Mike Tyson trying to say Unsinkable. This is the one about, uh, about, about Flint, Michigan. Wait, no, that's Ooh, Undrinkable. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, Unthinkable uh, is about, uh, some nuclear bombs and torturing a guy and it's like feds and CIA and marshals and bunches of like different stuff there. Oh, I remember that movie. <laughs> yeah, we watched it on the I liked it a lot. I'm glad that someone did. Is is Die Hard a federal investigation? The FBI show up, don't they? Uh, yeah, and then they get blown the fuck out of the sky. So there you go. Uh, Tom, what about you? you a uh, single recommendation for a movie about federal investigations? Uh, I don't know. Catch me if you can. Catch me if you can. Catch me if you can is a good one. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I I wish I'd said that. That's that's better. I don't know Can't what what's that movie about. Uh, that is the one about um fucking what's his name? That thing. Frank Abagnale. Frank Abagnale. Yeah. Who's that? He's a famous uh, con man in the, I want to say, the 50s? I think, yeah, mid to late 50s, early 60s is when it happens. He got his start by impersonating an airline pilot, and he would cash fake paychecks with like hotels and stuff, and they would float him, and then he'd be gone the next day. And then by the time, because this was before the days of the internet, so by the time they got back to the bank, and the bank was like, no, this is a bad check then he'd be gone and he got away with it because at the time, you know, being an airline pilot was this glamorous superstar thing. So everybody was like, Oh yes, yes. Right away, captain. Right. Cause this was back before deregulation when a yeah. plane ticket cost $600,000. So you were like the Kings of the air. Yeah. And it's a really good film. Good question, Kevin. One thing that I remember, and maybe I've done this bit before, so we'll have to do an exhaustive search of the archives to make sure that the information is complete. But I remember... Yeah, we wouldn't want to air the same episode segment twice. I don't know anyone who would do that, but... Neither do I. The, the thing that I remember from the gumshoe system is that they say if, the, if you get stuck and you have to go around in circles endlessly positing what might be happening, you have to go out and gather more clues and when I read this, I remember thinking that is true, but also an absolutely useless piece of advice because to gather more clues, what the fuck do you think I've been doing this entire time trying to gather them? So maybe tell me how to do that. Well, you're certainly not, from my experience, you're not alone in having some difficulty 
and finding clues. This is a thing that I see a lot when I run games. The thing I see a lot when I play games. I feel like th- this is a subset of the players just don't understand the clues they've been given. But I think you're trying. You're not talking about. It, you're talking more about how what mechanically or roleplay wise do they do to actually get the clues? Not necessarily how they interpret the clues they have. Correct. Yeah, yeah. It, this this is more of a procedural thing about. I guess. I guess this is how do you solve a mystery? Master class on how to solve a mystery. I guess. Roll human. And then uh, I I human the the guy to get the information and then uh, criminology, the facts, and then I firearms the bad guy and I win. There you go. Delta green in a nutshell. Which one of these suspects was a redheaded man? Because then I can determine he's going to the redheaded league offices and he's going to pull the rope at the door and a snake is going to fall and and bite him and kill him. Thanks, Commander Data, for that. That reference that nobody will get. Which 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 Sherlock Holmes mystery did Data have that had the red-headed league in it? It was the one made up by the computer, I think. No, that was before then. That was it, because yeah, yeah. they specifically said that it was composed of elements of Sherlock Holmes mysteries. I didn't realize that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was so attuned to the threats of Fenian terrorism in the 1890s. I guess it makes sense. Wow. Actually, no, it doesn't because back then the Fenians were more... Um, so I'm glad that we've stumbled onto this Sherlock Holmes discussion because my advice was going to be... Uh, Stop! To... It is a ruse. That's my favorite line from that episode. It's pretty good. My advice was going to be uh, to, to p- players who find themselves stuck and unsure of well, where, where, where to take the investigation next or even unsure of what the facts of the case are to think like Sherlock Holmes. Let's say for the record, think like uh, the good Sherlock Holmeses, like from Elementary or even the Robert Downey Jr. one, not like the BBC one. And look, I'm not going to talk about why the BBC one is bad, but I will include a two-hour-long video on why it's yeah, bad. There's like, there's like three or four BBC ones. Let Will make his point. Let Will the, make his the, point before we the, go into the, the video. The, the less said about Mumblebee Chesterfield's Sherlock Holmes, the better, I think. But we won't go into that. Yeah, read the show notes if you care. That's it. Um. It's interesting that you bring that up, actually, because a lot of Holmes's famous logical quote-unquote deductions were actually just, like, fucking narrative hand-waving. But, I mean... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Don't, don't, don't think too much about that. Just approach, approach the method itself, the, the, the philosophy at work. And uh, I guess that philosophy is... I know if Jake were here with us, he would suggest um, that uh, people remember the five W's, which any student of journalism should be familiar with. Do you guys know those? Good job. It's like that game, but with W's instead. It's like twice as many. Yes. Who wrote them? Why were they? When were they? The five W's. And how? The five W's are who, what, where, when, and why. Okay. You mostly said that. Why are you saying what weird? Um, yeah, it's fairly self-explanatory. Um, the the first four of those are really just establishing the facts of the event in question. And this is where I see a lot of players trip up um, because a common mistake when investigating a mystery is to jump to a conclusion, to look at a fact and assume that it has only one possible interpretation and then to laser focus on that. Don't 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 do that. Don't jump to conclusions. Just like like in the TV show, just the facts, man. And then the the next thing that happens is people who so you have a fact, you make a conclusion about it, you prove a conclusion wrong. Therefore, the next thing you think about it must be the only other option. Must be true. Don't do that. Either. Yeah, that's the other one. 
That's the other one. What was it? Something called the the, the the binary fallacy. Yeah, man, I think it's a Sherlock Holmes quote, but I might be misattributing it. But basically, you know, when you remove all when you remove all the possibilities, the only one that remains has to be the correct possibility. I think the quote is when you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however unlikely, must be the truth. Which I think yeah, actually I mean, is a Spock quote. Yeah. Who knows? The joke is he's quoting Arthur Conan Doyle in that that line in the film. But. You haven't read it until you've read it in the original Vulcan. You know, actually, what Spock says in that line is he says, an ancestor of mine once once said that, et cetera, which is funny because I'm not sure whether he's saying he's descended from Arthur Conan Doyle or from I mean, Sherlock Holmes. His, his, his mom was a human who fucked a Vulcan. This is true, but what conclusions can we draw from this fact? Well, the problem is that impossible doesn't mean anything because what you think is impossible and what the GM has decided impossible are not the same thing. That is true. Um green when you can have magic and stuff yeah that that is that is a very good point but i think in this context impossible shouldn't be taken to mean like what can't you do without space magic but impossible should be taken to mean what is logically contradictory you know even in even in a world of supernatural horrors and monsters from beyond the stars and magic and like in time wizards and all that bullshit even even with all of that there are still going to be some things which are simply not true because they're logically contradictory last things last is a really good scenario to get down to the bones of this because the investigation is extremely simple but there's I've, i don't think i've ever ran that and not had players disagree as to what was going on it's the reason that scenario is so fun is get the players you know infighting yeah there's there's just enough clues to to get the agents pointed in the right direction as far as what's going on but there's like one or two little bits that are missing and those one or two little bits are the bits where your ag- the agents have to synthesize a conclusion, and they might be right and they might be wrong. It's also really good about there's all those different treasures in the box, and I've, I've also never had a party not assume that every single thing in the box had something to do with the case. Rather than I, yeah, some of these are just collected artifacts that are neat and have nothing to do with everything. I mean, it's, it's how he came up with the you know the sky devil and the septic tank joke. The sky devil and the septic tank, yes, exactly, <laughs> great example. Now that we've established this issue that we have, what is something that players can do to fix this issue? Because I think that the solution to this is mostly on the GM side. It's to design better scenarios, but we don't all have that luxury. I certainly don't. So what is it that the players can do? Perhaps we could couch this in the terms of when you run this game, what are some things that you see people running up against again and again? that are easy to fix, but not immediately obvious to the people playing the game. I think one of the easiest things for players to do is to take a, take a tactical pause, run through the clues, which, which serve two purposes. One, it make, it lets the GM know that they've given you, we've all had a situation where we've told the players something, they've assumed something about it that we didn't catch. And then they run off on that assumption and we go, what, what are you trying to do? There's no cars here. Why are you trying to get in the car? Right? So if they run through the clues and they mention the cars, you can go, wait, hang a second. That's not a clue that you were given. You can nip in the bud right there. But it also has a lot of the different players to say, okay, we have these six clues. What do they mean? What do we think? Okay, we have really run this one down. Or can I, you know, can I human that clue? Or can I, you know, can I think about this one from another angle or, you know, use a bond or whatever? It allows them to kind of ping each clue a little more. So it works for both sides. I find it better when the players do it than... If I, as a GM, have to be like, why don't you guys talk about your clues? It feels like a real heavy prompt. <laughs> but if the players do it, it's great. That's really good. Yeah. Um, 
I I would strongly urge any anybody who's playing playing a mystery game and finds themselves stuck to to not feel like going back to square one and starting from from just the bare facts and working your way back up again like to not feel like that's a that's a failure or that's that's a a, a loss of progress right sometimes through following these clues and all these inferences to their conclusions sometimes you get to the end you realize it doesn't work and then you have to go back to square to to the to where you started from but that's not that's not a failure that's you've made progress you've eliminated one of the possibilities yeah that's just good police good detective work um by the same token i would i would caution our our listeners to not be too quick to dismiss a possibility prematurely because i see that happen a lot too you know i'll see someone say oh you know the victim was standing here when the monster attacked him, so that must mean this. Oh well, well if he was standing here because of this other reason, then that couldn't mean the monster attacked him. There. Oh well, I'll, I'll just throw that away. What you've done there is you've made an assumption. You've then made an assumption that, if true, would disprove that assumption, and then you've thrown away an, an assumption for basically no reason. <laughs> Stop blocking yourselves. That kind of ties into something I was thinking of. Uh, it- I, it's a lot easier for me to organize my thoughts when I write them down rather than trying to store them all in my head and keep them fresh for a couple hours. So I would say for a player, maybe do something like that. Have a notebook. And when you're interviewing an NPC or something, just write down the bare facts they tell you. And then if that gives you any ideas, any hypotheses, maybe put that on the opposite page or below on the bottom half of the page. So you can keep them separate, but close enough you can reference them in the future. And don't be afraid to ask clarifying questions to the handler in a semi-out-of-character manner. I know, Max, a couple of times you've, you've spoken about instances where you've said something in a particular way and someone who's not, who doesn't know you very well has assumed that because of the way you said it, that means that that NPC is being misleading or antagonistic or something. Yeah, it's because the way I talk is fucked up, and so people hear and they think that the NPCs are deliberately running a con on them. By the way, anybody who's listening to the show never met uh, Max. Uh, I didn't realize this until I met him in person, but he's basically always smiling whenever he talks. I used to think he was angry all the time, and then I met him. Oh, I, I do, I do get angry all the time. I've thought about getting a bite block for running games, but I get frustrated over really <laughs> inane shit. And um, when I do like this show, I'm usually happy. A good example to throw back to the first game I played with Max is he had a character do the I'm CIA bit. Oh, I know this one. I didn't realize it was a bit, so I assumed the <laughs> character was CIA because he said I'm CIA. <laughs> it took you. It took a couple back and forth before you were like, "Wait, what are you talking about the CIA guy? What?" So definitely take notes because it'll be it'll be a huge help for everyone. And I know I as a player hate. I feel really bad when I'm, the GMs give me like ten names to remember. And I maybe haven't grabbed them all down. Then I got to be like, all right, well, my character knows this guy's name. He's not an idiot. But I totally forgot it because I didn't catch it. What's the guy's name again? I always feel bad doing that. But it's the only way you can do it. So, yeah, take a lot of notes. Yeah, ask, be, don't be afraid to ask clarifying questions to your, to your GM. And GMs slash handlers, um, you're running an investigative game. If your players ask a bunch of clarifying questions because they missed it the first time around, like, that's 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 the game. Just try not to try to be patient with them. I feel I feel attacked just because I, I say that. <laughs> so I mean, I you, you do because you've played fucking esoteric enterprises with me, where the second, third, fourth, and fifth question out of the player's mouth is always, "What are the exits from this room?" <laughs> and you know, in fairness, I, I it is very easy to fuck up and not realize that you made a mistake, and that applies to Delta Green. It in Delta Green. One of the big issues with running any type of game where you have to communicate information, which is all games, is that 
it's very easy for the person running the game to misspeak and not realize they've misspoken because the players don't know enough about what's happening to challenge them on it to say, are you sure about that? So they just go forward having inaccurate information. So what you're saying is it's it's rolling dice once or twice a week, but mostly drawing false inferences when the GM misspeaks? That's a good poll. And I, when I'm the handler, I try to keep an eye on the player's notes page. I usually have them make a Google Doc. Because then if they type something else wrong, I can I can I can see that and I can fix it and say, okay, that was obviously a miscommunication. Here you go. That said, if they make a really dumb inference based on information, of oh yeah, say nothing. That's on them, you know. But one thing, uh, one thing you may, you may think about is about talking about making assumptions and whatnot. Is scientifically, you usually don't try to like. If I was going to try to prove, if I was going to prove that the sky is blue, I wouldn't try to prove that. I would try to prove the the null hypothesis of that, like the the negative of that, and then. God damn, I'm gonna, <laughs> my sociology professors would shoot me for explaining this so badly. That's fine. Sociology is not a real science anyway. Wow. Well, neither is you like neither is biology, chemistry. I'll call them sciences and they can fucking replicate the results and none of them can do that. That's the problem we've found ourselves in. The concept of the null hypothesis is that given the inability to prove that something has an effect on something else, your basic assumption is that X is does not have a causal link to why so you can reject the null hypothesis or you can fail to reject the null hypothesis those are the two possible results for an experiment and you cannot prove that the null hypothesis is correct you can only fail to reject it and you know this this sets us up for how a lot of science is very unexciting because if people were doing their due diligence the results most of the time would be fail to reject null hypothesis yeah, that was a much better explanation. So thank you for for the back. I've had it. I probably had him explained to me more recently than you have, which is why I remember it better. And I haven't used that shit since college, so it's been a while. You know, I don't walk through my normal work day trying to prove the null hypothesis or reject the null hypothesis. But you can kind of think about that in terms of when you're trying to make an assumption. You know, is did the guy get attacked by the monster because of the way the blood is splattered? You can kind of come at it from the other angle and think about you know. Pro- prove all the other re- all the reasons that it couldn't have happened that way, or disprove them. Like think about them, and then maybe you can come back to the fact that the only thing left is you know the the monster. Going back to a couple things you've been talking about, and specifically to Melon's opening comments about Gumshoe, I'm looking at a page from Mutant City Blues that has a bunch of very basic police interview questions, like uh, what was your relationship like with the victim. Uh, where were you at such and such time? Is there anyone who can confirm you were there? Just a bunch of things like that, which I think is really excellent and a lot more helpful than just go find more clues. But also it says something, it says over here, photocopy this page and then laminate it and give it to your players to reference in play. Yes. Yeah, I, like that. I, think, I think that's good because I think it's a situation partially of your players have not actually conducted a police investigation before, so they don't really know how that's done either. It's kind of one of the one of the basics of the genre, but also they've never actually solved a mystery, a real mystery before. The second thing on here I love, the second thing on here is, you know, if, if an alibi is given, you ask them, can anyone confirm this? I like this for two reasons. One, it's good, good police work. Two, as a handler, I'm unlikely to invent an NPC out of whole cloth on the spot who can confirm it. I'm probably going to point you to someone else in the in the in the existing web. 
So you're using that question to get to another actual NPC you want to talk to. That's good. Yeah, that's really smart. I mean, you know, granted, if you ask you to ask that and the handlers ask you to make up a name for an NPC, you've maybe gone down the wrong direction. But but that's still useful. That tells you, okay, this is not necessarily a path that's going to lead to something productive. It's kind of a metagamey way of signaling that, but it's still useful if you're crunching on time. The struggle is that as a player, you have certain things that have a reasonable likelihood of getting you the information you want based on X would logically lead to Y, but you're always going to run into situations where that doesn't work because the person running the game did not simulate the entire world and therefore did not exhaustively prepare a connection that they did not anticipate you would search for. If I want to know whether the suspect left particular oils from their body on the victim and the person running the game has not thought of such a thing, they're not going to have that written up. And the solution for this is getting into the handler side of things where the handler is supposed to ask, why do you want to know that information in order to properly assess what their response should be? Yeah, for sure. Um, but if if your handler doesn't doesn't pick up on that, uh, I, I would encourage you as a, as a player, I would encourage a player to say, I'm going to look at this and then as part of that same statement, include the reason why you're looking at it. Like, oh, I'm going to examine the corpse's feet because if he had a fungal infection, it would show up in the feet first, for instance. One thing, you know, we've actually kind of talked against doing this, but I think it does have a place. You know, don't be afraid to say, like, here's what I'm looking for. I want to know if you had a fungal infection. I want to know. I'm trying to find all the forensic clues. You know, what can I roll to, like, to, like, cut, to, can I, can I roll forensics in order to get all of the forensic clues about the body? Because I'm at the body and I have a lab. Like, as a handler, you're able to say yes, and then they know, but then, you know, make the roll or they have not 80 in it or whatever, that they've got all those clues. They don't need to dig anymore because they have that box. And as a handler, I, in a lot of cases, I'm okay with that. You know, I had a case where in a game where somebody, you know, there was a suicide and it was a suicide and they, they had, they saw the blood splatter and wanted to confirm. So I said, sure, roll forensics. And when they did, I said, yes, you like you are an expert in this. You made your roll. You, you, there's no evidence. This is anything but what it says on the tin. Like put a lid on it. It's a suicide. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a much better approach than going to the fine detail of what specific signs you look for. What's key is that trying to determine the facts of the case, you have a specific question that you're asking. You know, was it this? Was it that? Uh, did did this happen? Um, you know, was was it over here? Was it over there? The how you arrive at that conclusion doesn't matter. What matters is there is a specific question that you are you are trying to ask mechanically. Um, and one thing I will note about the the interview questions out of out of that Gumshoe book is that these are all these are essentially the five W's, and they are all questions that can be very easily factually verified. Yeah, and that's a great thing for if you're a player and you're not the group's, you know, you're not the group's investigator or the group's face, and you're like, well, what am I doing sitting in the back of the van while the two feds do all the talking? You can say, I want to, I want to check all these answers. I want to, yeah, go through the guy's social media and do a couple background checks and see, okay, he did have a family, he did, he he did play, you know, soccer on the weekends, or whatever, and that gives you something to do, and it also confirms all these checkboxes. Or I guess you say what the guy says every Saturday I play soccer and you find out he doesn't, now you've now you've got something. I remember I did that in 
the play test of who killed the case officer, Max. And I had caught one of the suspects in a lie, and I wasn't sure whether or not whether or not you, you'd slipped up. And I stepped out. And I said, "Did did you mix mix that up, or did the character mix that up?" And you're like, "No, the character mixed that up." That's good because yeah, I've 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 really like gone after Kevin for things that were just honest mistakes on his part or him not preparing areas that I considered super important when in reality they were tangential at best to the adventure. And kind of related to that, I know this is definitely a player-focused kind of segment, but as a handler, don't be afraid to say, hey, I uh, screwed this up. Let's, let's step back and these three things are changing. Like we're retconning this, you know, to get things back on track. No problem. Just be clear about it. Don't do it a million times, but don't cut it off as soon as you can rather than let things spiral out of control. Unless you think you can land it, but that's... That's a, an acquired skill. I will include a link to the five W questions and the interview questions from what Gumshoes book was it, Tom? This is Mutant City Blues. Right, right. We'll include those as well in the episode description. So here, here's a here's a question for you. Um, and I guess this is a player question and a handler question. But um, let's say you're a player and you take all of our advice to heart and you dig and dig and dig and dig. When when do you stop like investigating and take action? When do you know you have enough clues? Do you That's know you have one? <laughs> so I think what makes it really interesting is that you generally aren't going to get like, with a regular police murder investigation. You can you can get to one hundred percent and close the case. Okay, his wife killed him with the candlestick in in the in the lounge. End of story. Well, Delta Green, if you get to ninety percent and 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 get rid of the incursion, that's a pretty damn good success. So I kind of feel like the way Delta Green works, you're you're almost never going to get to that one hundred percent mark. Or else, no one would ever stay in the case. No one would ever study the unnatural. So, if you can't get to 100, how do you know when you're when you're there? For most typical mysteries, you would get to the end when you got to that last W question. The why? The why is usually the last one that you answer. With respect to Delta Green, though, it's usually not. Usually, what you're trying to get at is what or who. True. Yeah. Who cares about why? You just need to stop it. Well, why will often help you get to what or who, but you you care less about the motivation of whatever you're investigating, and you care more about what it is and whether or not it's a threat. I guess you could add an additional question to the end of the five W's, which is, do I care? If this is, you know, if 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 it if it ends up being a kind of mundane kind of matter that isn't really going to cause problems for people again, then I guess you've you've wrapped things up. But if there is still if there is still a, a threat vector in, in, in the wild, you know, loose, roaming around, you kind of have to deal with that. I would have said the sixth question to add on to the five W's would be how. What is the mechanism by which all this unnatural stuff is happening? Okay, yeah, that's good. I was going to suggest, is this related to the incursion? If yes, then you have to put a pin in it. And then if, 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 if all the pins are in things, you're done. If no, it's nice to wrap it up. Maybe it'll lead you somewhere else, but you don't necessarily have to. But you may not even know what the incursion is, you know, by the time you're done with your first couple of interviews or whatever, you know, investigative beats you're taking. If I could take your question and narrow the focus a little bit. One might also ask, at what point, let me just start that again. There comes a point where you have to stop the investigation and take some sort of action. I guess you could similarly ask, how do you know when to stop investigating and when to start door kicking? Sometimes that decision is made for you. And, and yeah. not, not in the sense of you get shot at, that's obvious, but in the sense of, okay, you had three murders in the time you're investigating, you know, the thing is boiling over, you've got to get, you've got to start taking action. 
but let's assume that the decision isn't made for you. And I, I think it's when you, when you, when you think you've nibbled around the edges of what the incursion is and whatever, whatever action you're taking, whatever door you're kicking down is going to have the best chance of stopping it. So if you think this will work and you'll stop the incursion, stop investigating, go do it. If you don't think so, then you may, you may want to pivot your investigation to now we know what it is. How do we stop it? There's a principle I was taught um, about cross-examining somebody, which is that you should never ask a question you don't already know the answer to. Favorite lawyer trick? Yes. I wonder if that axiom could be applied to an investigation, to, to a, a Delta Green investigation. You know, you shouldn't pull the trigger on taking action until you know what's going to be on the other side of the door when you kick it down. I think that's something to strive towards, but I think by its very nature, you're you're almost never going to get there. But it's a good, like, golden ideal. Yeah. Whether you may have to kick on the door with imperfect knowledge because that's your job. Yeah, and in, in, in that in that event, that decision is like you say is probably going to be made for you. But in an ideal world, I certainly would not as a player want to go to go loud as it were until I have as much information as I can possibly get about what's what's gonna happen to me when I do. You never want to go into a direct confrontation with anything. Uh, unless you know what you're up against and what your odds are. Sometimes you have to, and but that's out of your control, and so you're never going to make that call anyway. And there is a little bit of, you know, we're all playing... This isn't just applied to direct, like, firearms violence. Either. This applies equally to yeah. just, you know, going into the into the spooky cave to get the tome out. I, I, I use door kicking as, as a shorthand for taking some sort of direct action, not necessarily related to rolling firearms until it ends. Yeah, when do you start casting the ritual, or you know, when do you? You may know that talking to the martial technologies guys is going to set in motion some things because they're going to know you're onto them. When do you do that? Definitely. Yeah. You know, there's there's a little bit of a you know meta. I mean, not meta gaming, a little bit of meta knowledge here because you you kind of know whether you're playing like a long campaign and you can kind of really take your time and do these like in depth investigations and have these little vignettes, or if you're doing like a con game, like at the end of this you got to wrap it up. You may just realize that after two and a half hours, you got to start making it happen. And it's intrinsic on the handler to not screw players that way. It's to give, you know, you want to feed them clues as fast as they need them so that you actually get to the fun part. But you can kind of use that as like a gauge. As a handler, don't be afraid to hit the gas pedal, dump a bunch of clues. You can get them to the fun part if they're being real slow. I wish Jake was here. Jake Jake had a, a post that he reposted on Twitter about how if the players are stuck, you should let them be stuck and not have the NPCs do something exciting. And my response to that was, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll talk to, we'll have to talk to him. Talk to this is, this is, this is getting, this is veering into yeah. handler advice territory, but my philosophy is if nothing's happening, make something fucking happen. The, the Michael Bay philosophy. I think that's the Raymond Chandler philosophy. Right. So in the theme of the federal agent segment, we did um, lightning round. What is a good, film or TV show about solving mysteries to watch. Bosch. What's what's that? Bosch is a TV show on, I don't know, might be HBO or FX. It doesn't. Showtime? Maybe it's Showtime. Whatever. It's a TV show. Uh, Bosch is about a LA police detective based on a series of books by the same name. Um, and one thing I super appreciate about it is they take they take the time to show you the like how police work actually works. And how kind of not boring it is, but just how you know, some of it is repetitive. Like we talked earlier about going back over the case from a new, new perspective. You know, Bosch will always, there's a few scenes where you'll find him like late at night, just going through the same case book again and again. This is eventually, you know, he might, something, something new might pop up or a new connection might pop up. 
So Bosch, very good investigative police show. Check it out. Max, give us one. Uh, I'll do one that I saw recently called Day of the Jackal. Okay. Day of the Jackal is a movie about a guy who wants to assassinate Charles de Gaulle, which is the right thing to do, but for the wrong reasons, because he thought that Charles de Gaulle was not fascist enough. Anyway, it ties into the subjects we're talking about because it is a movie about a elite assassin trying to kill Charles de Gaulle and the efforts of a police detective to use the resources of the surveillance state to track him down and stop him. So, for example, one of the things that the uh, the killer does is he makes all these fake passports by going through these these paper records of people who died in infancy and applying for passports in their name because the passport office isn't going to check with the the death you know newspapers that they died. So then, when the guy discovers this, he tells the his, all of his peons to go cross-reference all the files to find out which dead people are so sh- just recently applied for passports and then alert all the border posts that they need to watch out for people who come through using those passports with those dead people's names. You can remake that movie into a possible movie with Bruce Willis and Richard Gere as well. The I have no idea if it's true, and I don't think Kevin's opinions on this are correct, but I will actually use that to do a reference that he will appreciate because one thing that I thought was odd about the television program The Wire is that when uh, the drug lord is telling his soldier that he needs to assassinate a senator he says you got to go kill this guy i don't care who he is you need to kill him and then his the, the other drug lord is like no you cannot send just any old gangbanger to kill a senator you have to have a day of the jackal motherfucker and i thought it was <laughs> so odd that like you know this hood from the projects like a uh, intelligent and probably educated man but nonetheless like a dude who was born 20 or 30 years after the movie came out would reverence that film. Will, what's yours? Mine is going to be uh, The Outsider, which I think is also an HBO show. It actually was recommended to me by some fine folks on the Delta Green mailing list. Uh, the Outsider is based on a novel by, I want to say Stephen King. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is the, it's essentially a, a Delta Green investigation in all but names. Something weird happens in a small town and a cop starts looking into it and it doesn't make any sense but he, he follows the leads no matter how crazy they get. And once he's eliminated the impossible, the only thing that remains must be the truth. Doesn't Jason Bateman play a lead in that show? I don't know who that is. Yes, he's the guy Terry who plays Rick. Terry originally. Terry being the initial person who... What sets off the whole mystery is that a man is found to have committed this horrible, gruesome crime... And also, he is miles and miles away at the exact time the crime was committed. And they right. have DNA evidence. They have all this stuff proving he was in two places at once. That guy is played by Jason Bateman. And that, that's a good example of what, of what uh, Kevin and Max, what you brought up about how sometimes it's hard to rule out the impossible when the impossible can literally occur. In that instance, this thing, which should be logically contradictory, suggests that there is something else going on here. Uh, Tom, you got one? Uh, sorry, I'm still really just drawing a blank on this. I'm not sure. Well, we'll bug Tom for it later on an after show or something, and we'll tweet it out. All right. That was solid. Solid segment. Cut print. <laughs>